So despite the severe toxic patriarchy in the Bible, there are some remarkable women in it. And some are heroines, uh, others are villains, some are leaders and others are victims. Um, one thing could be said about most of the teachings about women in the Bible is there's not enough of it. And often it's centered around just a handful of key figures, you know, we all know the names of. Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter. So each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale, your CBF Podcast host. And this year we're celebrating our seventh year of the podcast, bringing you even better interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout out to some of our listener supporters, including Caroline Bell, Cindy Foldenlore, Bill Johnson, Carson Fushi, Ralph Stocks, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. This podcast is presented to you by Central Seminary. A historic Baptist seminary founded in Kansas that now is diverse, cross-cultural, and ecumenical with a significant global footprint. Leading with the values of community, empathy, growth, and tenacity, Central Seminary equips students with the theological knowledge, spiritual insight, and practical skills needed to lead in an ever-changing world. We cultivate an inclusive, multi-language community of reflection where critical thinking and discernment are welcomed and encouraged. Central offers numerous graduate degrees and certificates, including Doctorate of Ministry in Creative Leadership, Master of Arts in Counseling, Certificates in Chaplaincy Studies, and Peace and Justice Ministries, and much more. Most programs are offered fully online. To learn more, visit cbts.edu or search for Central Seminary Kansas City. This podcast episode is sponsored by the Forum for Theological Exploration. Founded in 1954, FTE is a leadership incubator that inspires young people to make differences in the world through Christian communities. This month, FTE is launching Call to Pastoral Ministry, a new four-week online course designed for young adults discerning their next most faithful step towards ministry. Going to seminary can incur a $50,000 or more price tag. FTE wants to help you to be confident about your decision to attend seminary or to pursue other paths towards ministry before making a large investment. Call to Pastoral Ministry will expand your imagination, share inspirational stories, provide discernment practices, and affirm your call in diverse communities of peers and mentors. Enroll in FTE's course and be empowered as you discern a call by God to pastor, preach, and serve. The course launches on April 1st, with enrollment closing March 31st. Visit fteleaders.org backslash called to learn more and to enroll for free today.
Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Ashley Wilcox. She is a Quaker minister providing training for preachers. She's also authored a new book, which will be the main focus of our conversation today. Ashley, thank you for joining the podcast conversation. Thanks for having me. So I've known you, uh, I think a little over six, seven years, uh, but I recently learned you actually went to law school before you uh, went to seminary and you actually worked in an appeals court. What is this? I didn't know anything about this. You didn't know that part of my history? No, no, uh, no, but I'd love to know. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it is connected with the work I do now. I actually became a Quaker while I was in law school. So uh, that set me on this path indirectly. I um, decided to go to law school after college in part because I didn't know what to do, which is not a good reason to go to graduate school. Um, but I took a year off and then went to law school and I was really focused on international law and uh, cared a lot about women and um, women internationally. And I thought that's what I would do. But I was really unhappy in law school. I uh, liked the learning, the topics, um, but the competition was rough. And my classmates were you know, very competitive and not always very kind. And so I started looking for a church during that time. And I ended up finding a Quaker church. And I got very involved with that church and stayed with Quakers when I left, you know, when I graduated law school and got my first job and moved to Seattle and I worked for the appeals court there. And so for about six years after law school, I was doing some of both of working full time as a judicial clerk and then doing a whole lot of ministry. And eventually it was just unsustainable for me to do both at the same time. And so I actually do still do legal work. I do it about half time to, uh, you know, keep everything else afloat. But my main priority now is ministry. Yeah, I would say the uh, the law side of things probably pays a lot better than ministry does. <laughs> so. It usually does. Yes. Yeah. If you've ever had to pay legal fees, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that totally, <laughs> totally adds up. Uh, you know, uh, so this is an interesting question because, um, you know, I know a lot about Quakers, um, church historian by two degrees, and actually go to a, technically the university I'm going to for my doctorate of leadership is a Quaker school. But I don't know if a lot of people know about Quakers. So not not to like put you on the spot, but like, Hey, like, why did you pick uh, being a Quaker? And uh, what, you know, what is, you know, Quakerism, I guess, for lack of better terms? Yeah, no, I'm happy to talk about it. So the center of the Quaker belief were um, actually the Religious Society of Friends, Quaker is a uh, nickname, is that we believe that God can speak to and through anyone. And so in our worship, we listen in silence for God speaking to us and anyone can feel led to speak out of that, give a message. And I first became a Quaker um, in part because my aunt and uncle had been attending a Quaker church in Portland and they knew that I was looking for a church and they were like, we think you might really like Quakers. And so I looked online and found a local Quaker church and Quakers are very diverse in terms of how 
they worship in different places. So there are friends who worship completely in silence and that's called unprogrammed. And then there are friends who have a programmed worship, which is much more like a typical mainline uh, worship service with a sermon and singing and prayers. Although there is usually silence in there as well. And then the church I found was semi-programmed. So it had prayer and singing and then about 45 minutes of silence and for where I was right then that was perfect for me I loved the singing I loved the prayer and then I just really sank into the silence and listening together and it was a church that was welcoming of all sorts of people it was very inclusive of LGBTQ people which I was looking for at that point and so I really found my spiritual home there. So um, walk us through, you know, obviously um, the trajectory going to, to law school and, and thinking vocationally, you're going to go you know, down that route, but then a, a turn to, to seminary. It's, it's actually not that uncommon when you look historically at some key like figures in church history. Um, you know, Martin Luther is one example that comes to mind. But um, so walk us through that journey for you, um, you know, thinking you're going to go down the legal route and then end up at seminary. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's still not that uncommon. I went to Candler School of Theology and there were five people in my class who were lawyers. And for a while we would get together as a little group of people who had gone through this together. I think when I got into law, I actually got some really great legal jobs. Um, you know, so much of legal work is working 60 plus hours a week and just, you know, they'll work you to death if they can. But working for courts was very reasonable. I was working 40 hours a week. I had a lot of colleagues who were um, very generous and helping each other. And um, it was a, a gentler version of law. And I thought if I did that for long enough that I would find something in law that I was really interested in doing. And I applied for some jobs, but I just didn't. And I kept doing it for a lot longer than most people do. People usually clerk for a year or two. And I did it for six years for two courts and several judges. And so I got very good at it, but it just wasn't what I wanted to do ultimately. And during this time, I was involved with different ministries and um, meeting with a lot of ministers and people kept asking me if I wanted to go to seminary. And I kept saying no, because I had a graduate degree. I didn't want to go back to school. I didn't want to spend that time or the money or anything. Um, and during this time, I did a Quaker program called the School of the Spirit, which was a two-year program actually in North Carolina, where I now live. And I would come out to Durham four times a year. And it was, it provided a base in Quaker practices, Quaker history, but also just spiritual practices, spiritual formation. And it was the, over the course of those two years, that I really realized that I needed to go to seminary in part because I was burning out in ministry and I felt like I needed more support. Um, I needed to figure out how to do ministry without hurting myself and others. And so I used that time to transition into going back to school. Mm 
So you have a, a new book out, uh, The Women's Lectionary. This is a resource for preaching uh, about the women in the Bible throughout the year. Um, so walk us through the story of what inspired you to create this very unique resource. Yeah. Um, so it's The Women's Lectionary, Preaching the Women of the Bible Throughout the Year. And it really started... Uh, through Church of Mary Magdalene, and this is how you and I met. Um, I co-founded a church indicator called Church of Mary Magdalene, where we focused on women preaching, and um, people were really drawn to that, not just women, but uh, all sorts of people, and that was my first experience of weekly preaching, up until that point, I had done quite a bit of preaching, but it was always like guest preaching or um, occasional preaching, you know, maybe once a month at a uh, retirement home or something like that. But that weekly preaching was really different and it was a good practice for me. And so I had to find ways to have continuity in my preaching. So like many people, I turned to the Revised Common Lectionary and would use that often in my preaching. But I found that people in Church of Mary Magdalene really wanted to hear stories about women. We would do sermon series about women in the Bible and that's when they got really excited um, to hear more about those stories. And so when I turned to the Revised Common Lectionary, I would pick a story about a woman in the Bible if there was one for that week, but often there isn't. And I found that um, they would leave out stories about women or leave out difficult parts about stories about women. And so, you know, there's a lot of sexual assaults in the Bible and we don't hear about it in our churches very often. And so the RCL would cut around those pieces in a way that I found really troubling. And I felt this tension between these two things. And I was talking to my partner one day and said, you know, I love the community of the Revised Common Lectionary. I love the structure of it, um, but I wish there were more women. I wish I could preach about women. And my partner said, well, why don't you just write your own lectionary? <laughs> and it was such a good idea and such an interesting one that I spent the next several days putting together a lectionary, just seeing if I could, if I could do a full year of preaching about women in the Bible and feminine images of God. And I, my goal was to have two passages for each week, one from the Hebrew Bible and one from the New Testament. And I found that I could, it actually came together pretty quickly. Like there are enough stories in the Bible about women to preach every Sunday and holiday for a year or two um, on women. And so I had this calendar and that was great. And at the same time, I was part of the teaching team at Candler for um, the intro preaching class. And I was working for Ted Smith. I did that for about five years. And I uh, met with him and I showed him this calendar. And I was like, do you think there's something here? And he said, yes, uh, you should write commentaries on each of these passages. <laughs> and so basically I went in with a, a calendar and came out with a book idea and I, 
left there. And so I used that calendar to preach at Church of Mary Magdalene for the next year and use the exegesis from my sermons to write commentaries on these passages. And so it just grew through that. I got to try out these sermons in my, um, in my church, in my context. And then I used that to feed back into the book. And that's how I got the first uh, big part of the book written. This podcast is presented to you by CBF Church Benefits. At CBB, your benefits are our ministry. For 25 years, CBF Church Benefits has proudly served the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, providing retirement benefits and insurance services for CBF-affiliated church ministries and staff, along with CBF field personnel in Atlanta and around the world. CBB helps simplify the administrative burdens of your retirement plan, allowing you and your ministry staff to focus on your ministry. CBB can also help you maintain your overall benefit package, including life and disability benefit and international medical insurance for international missions. Through generous philanthropic support, CBF Church Benefits recently launched the Financial Wellness Initiative. This new initiative offers ministers the opportunity to receive financial relief grants, financial education experience, and financial planning services. Please visit CBF Church Benefits website at churchbenefits.org to learn more about CBB, our benefits, and the financial wellness opportunities designed to help you thrive in your mission and ministry. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. So despite the severe toxic patriarchy in the Bible, there are some remarkable women in it. And some are heroines, uh, others are villains, some are leaders and others are victims. Um, one thing can be said about most of the teachings about women in the Bible is there's not enough of it. And often it's centered around just a handful of key figures, you know, we all know the names of. So uh, first, how did you go about identifying uh, the diversity of women featured in, in the book? That's a good question. I actually drew on my own knowledge for the first pass of it because I grew up going to a Christian school for kindergarten through eighth grade where Bible was a class. And so even before seminary or, you know, before I had gone to church for very long, I had a really deep knowledge of the Bible in that kind of evangelical way. And I'd been really interested in women in the Bible for a long time. When I was in seminary, if I had the choice to preach or write about, you know, a character of my choosing, then I would often choose a woman or a feminine image. 
And then I started looking out more broadly. I mean, some of it was Google searches. There's some really great resources on women in the Bible. I'm thinking in particular of the Women's Bible Commentary um, and Women in Scripture, which are both um, uh, edited anthologies about women in the Bible. And so I don't include every woman in the Bible in my book. There's actually more, <laughs> several more that we can talk about in that. But I do think I have a, uh, a real breadth of the women who are in there, including many that we don't hear about often in church, if at all. You know, how, how do you, you know, going back to, you know, I guess if we're all looking at scripture with an honest lens there, it was obviously written in a severely patriarchal time. So how do you um, reread some of these characters without that lens of toxic patriarchy? That's a good question. So it's very popular right now to say things like smash the patriarchy and I agree. I, I don't think patriarchy serves us, but I think we have to have a more nuanced lens in reading Bible stories. Otherwise, they just don't make sense. And what I found was that um, patriarchy in you know the Bible throughout often serves to protect women. So you have the patriarch, who is the one who is supposed to be protecting everyone under his care, his wives and children um, and others in his household. And so if people are um, kind of within that system, they have a certain level of protection. Many of the women in the Bible that we hear about are outside of the bounds of that protection. So they are widows, they are unmarried, they uh, don't have children, they haven't had a son, which is the next level of protection. You know, you have the protection from your father, your husband, and then your son. And so if they don't have a son yet, that puts them in real danger. And so we find these women who are really on the edges of their culture or their family system and don't have their protection. And then they can make different choices um, than some of the other women. They can make moves to protect themselves um, either through a finding a husband or having a son. And so they will pray for these things, they will pursue these things, or they will um, get together in communities of women. Like we see the widows in the New Testament and um, protect each other that way. And so I think, well, patriarchy doesn't serve us. And I think in no way is God's plan for us. You know, the initial creation was not a patriarchal system. This was one of equality. If we think about how patriarchy may have been helpful to people at the time, that helps us to understand some of these stories better. So you said a couple of times uh, talking about protection, uh, protection of, of what, from what, uh, I guess from from who <laughs> or whom? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean protection from starvation. <laughs> uh, if you don't have someone who is um, providing for you uh, in a real material sense, then you are in trouble. And I think of you know the story of Hagar when um, Abraham sends her out, like he is the patriarch 
who is supposed to be protecting her at this point, she is his wife. Um, but because Sarah tells him to, he sends her off into the desert with like a little bit of water and her son and she has nothing. And so like, this is a real um, physical protection in a lot of ways. And we see in other stories, like some of the really disturbing rape stories in the Bible, it's that kind of physical protection of the father should be protecting his daughter from, you know, a threat, sometimes from even within the family. And when that doesn't happen, then um, the woman doesn't have that kind of protection. What figures did you come to appreciate? maybe for the first time or which ones did you see differently as a result of examining their stories um, to put into this lectionary source? One of my very favorite stories in the Bible and the one that actually starts the commentaries in my book is the story of Tamar. And there are two Tamars. This is the one in Genesis. She's the daughter-in-law of Judah. And this really illustrates the kind of protection um, or lack of protection. She was married to Judah's first son. He died married to the second son because of Leverett marriage laws, moved on to that. He also died and she is supposed to be married to the third son, but Judah's afraid that he's going to die too. And so he keeps her from marrying the youngest son. And so she is outside of this protection and she um, realize, realizes what has happened and tricks Judah, her father-in-law, into having sex with her so that she will continue the line. And when Judah finds out that she's pregnant, he is furious. And then um, she makes him realize that it was actually him who impregnated her. She had been in disguise, he thought she was a prostitute. And he says, she is more in the right than I, saying that she is righteous. And I just love this story because it's so weird. Um, but really, she has taken the power for herself. And one of the things she takes is his staff, which is very symbolic. The word staff can also mean tribe. And so she is taking on this role as the leader of the tribe and doing what's right to continue the family line, which is very important for their culture. You know, I love this complete lectionary cycle. It's, it's not a season or a series. So why was it important for, uh, for you, for the church to invest an entire year, every Sunday, examining the stories of biblical women? I think so often we hear about women or we hear women's voices on particular Sundays. You know, we'll have the Mother's Day sermon and that's when a church will invite a woman to come to preach or we'll hear about Mary um, around Christmas time. And it's important to me for people to know that women are present in the Bible, that they're there, that God is speaking to these women. These women are leading, they're prophets, they're um, church leaders in the New Testament. And we can miss those stories if we don't 
spend time with them. And hearing them back to back gives us such a sense of the complexity of women in the Bible. They are not one thing and they're not, you know, the virgin or the whore, which is what we often hear about. It's not this binary. There's just so many different kinds of women in the Bible and different ways of being feminine. And so that's important to me. The other thing is, I think spending this much time looking from a different perspective helps us see God in a different way. When we see how God is interacting with women and how God is feminine as well as masculine, it gives us a new sense of life and a new understanding of who God is, how God works, how God is in the world. And when we hear the same old stories over and over again, we can get really set in our metaphors, our language about God and our understanding or our beliefs about who God is. And God is so much bigger than that. God is a father, but also so much more than a father. God is a mother. God is like a mother hen. God is like an angry mother bear. And so I think living with these stories, hearing these stories and being a church together with them is important. I also, I want little girls in churches to hear these stories. I want them to know that God cares about them and God sees them as potential leaders and prophets and pastors and preachers, because I grew up in a time or in a place where I didn't always hear that. And I would like that for other people. Let's talk about the, the state of gender equality within the church. Um, you're a Quaker, so let's let's first talk about things um, from your denominational perspective. How would you grade your faith tradition when it comes to, to gender equality, um, you know, with clergy? I think uh, definitely on paper, we, we get a very high grade. Quakers have been... Um, believers in gender equality basically since the beginning of our faith. So this is in the 1650s. One of the early founders of Friends was Margaret Fell. Um, she was not the original founder, but she was in that first generation. And she wrote a pamphlet called Women Speaking Justified. And she used uh, biblical sources to explain why women should be allowed to preach and speak in church. So this was long before many denominations uh, came to this view. And at that time, many people were still wondering if women had souls. So that is really meaningful for me. And one of the reasons that I was drawn to Quakers. Um, and in practice, we're not perfect. Uh, no one is. And part of that is because we don't live in an ideal Quaker world. Um, women who are in ministry amongst friends are also living in a world where things aren't always great for women. And so we hear these same kinds of messages that everyone else does. And that can be really hard for women in ministry. And I think Quakers could do more to um, proactively raise up the voices of women and make sure that they are equally represented as pastors and as ministers. And so I think there is still work to be done within my own denomination, even though we have a very strong history of this. 
Um, going outside of friends, I think uh, things have changed a lot over the last, you know, 50 years, a century, like we have a lot more women in ministry. And every year more women go to seminary, which is really interesting. Some seminaries are more women than men. And we have, you know, the Catholic church, which does not ordain women and is huge. And we have a lot of uh, conservative churches that will not ordain women. And so it's this same kind of mixed messages of like, you can do this, but not everywhere. Um, you know, and even when you're in some of these more progressive denominations, a lot of churches want the young male pastor. And so women coming out of seminary find that they have fewer choices in terms of where they get to pastor, what kinds of jobs are available to them. And so I would like to see um, denominations work on that too and do the work, the groundwork so that women who are pastors don't have to step into a role and then prove themselves. They don't have to do that extra work. I want churches to be excited to welcome them as their pastor and to see their gifts, not just their gender. Even CBF, uh, you know, de a denomination that was founded on endorsing women in ministry still has less than 7% of its churches being led by female senior pastors. You know, I wish I could say that I'm not surprised, but there is um, there isn't a greater quality within our churches. First, among lay leaders, and second, among clergy. You know, so so what's the answer? Um, what do you think denominations um, and the local churches can do to um, be proactive advocates of uh, a sense of equality? Um, you know, within within uh, the realm of of clergy being hired. I mean, that's an enormous question. And I think a lot of it depends on the denomination. I became very familiar with Methodists um, when I was at Candler because it is a Methodist seminary and they have an appointment system. And I think in some ways that can be good to um, have a, you know, a board of ordained ministry that appoints people but even so, I found that a lot of the women were appointed to the more rural areas, to the smaller churches. And so whatever your system is of um, hiring pastors, whether it's you know a free church tradition where the local church is um, the one doing it, or the, it's more of a top-down system, I think... Uh, advocating within that for women's voices and lifting them up and bringing in people who can help um, churches and hiring committees and uh, boards of ordained ministry to understand that we really haven't made it, <laughs> that we're not there all the way yet, that we need to um, work harder at lifting up some of these voices that we don't hear, not just because, you know, it would help these women, but because it is good for the church, because it's important for us to hear about God from different kinds of voices and not just hear the same ones that we have been hearing for so long. Getting back to, to the book, um, how do you imagine clergy using it? 
there are a lot of different ways that they can use it, which is really exciting for me. I've been hearing from people who are using it in Bible studies, which is fun. There are um, questions at the end of each commentary. And so you can use that as a jumping point for a Bible study. Uh, there, you can just use it as a lectionary for a year or two and preach your way through it. It's a whole calendar of um, passages that you can use for preaching. And there is a lot of overlap with the Revised Common Lectionary, which I have an index in the back of the book that has the RCL passages in bold. Um, and so if you're an RCL preacher, if that's the way your church is, then um, you can still use this resource um, along with it. And I'm excited that we're heading into year C here because Luke has a lot of passages about women. And so I think this is a great year to use the women's lectionary in tandem with the RCL. Um, another way is uh, with sermon series. In the beginning of the book, I have a list of several sermon series that people can do. And there are things like Evil Queens and Wicked Stepmothers on the villainesses in the Bible or um, female prophets in the Bible or um, uh, Advent sermon series. And so if you are in a church that doesn't use any sort of lectionary but is in a sermon series model, then you can use this book for sermon series. And I think just anytime you are preaching about a woman in the Bible, like looking in here and seeing if it's in the book and using that commentary and the resources that are available. I hope that this will be a resource that pastors will use often, that it's one that they pull off the shelf as they're thinking about preaching and that it is, uh, you know, dog-eared and well-worn after the next year of preaching. What's your hope for your readers? I hope that my readers will get a sense of the Holy Spirit working through these stories. That has been true for me in working with the different passages and thinking about God this way. It's primarily for um, preachers, for pastors, but it's anyone can use it, you know, as a personal devotional. And I just hope that for anyone who is feeling weary or um, tired of the way things have been, that this will provide a way into the Bible and some fresh perspectives and different understandings of God and bring the reader back into this holy text that is so meaningful for all of us. The book is The Women's Lectionary, Preaching the Women of the Bible Throughout the Year. Our guest is Ashley Wilcox. Follow her work at ashleymwilcox.com and womenslectionary.com. Ashley, thank you for making the time for this conversation. We are grateful for your willingness to create this incredible resource for our churches. Thank you so much for having me. We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. 
BSK offers multiple ways to pursue theological education, helping you learn and grow in your area of ministry. Programs include a 75-hour Master of Divinity degree with concentration in BSK's areas of emphasis, including Black Church Studies, Rural Ministry, and Pastoral Care. For ordained ministers or lay leaders alike, BSK offers nine-hour certificates in Black Church Studies, Rural Ministries, and Pastoral Care, as well as two Exploring Ministry certificates for general ministry training. BSK also offers additional subject-specific training with Flourish workshops in subjects such as Introduction to Youth Ministry, Essentials in Youth Ministry, and the upcoming The Flight of the Soul of America. Now enrolling for Fall 2022. Apply today at bsk.edu. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support. 